Uh, Shannon Knoll, welcome to the Madness Continues podcast. Hey, what's up? <laughs> how how are you? I'm doing good. We were just what is this cabin cafe on your? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know if I could say it on air. It's where I work. <laughs> it's, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got all these people. All my listenership is mostly in India and like Kingston, Jamaica, for some reason. Oh, okay. Then yeah, yeah. Then a handful of people in Denmark. Okay, so <laughs> they so might yeah. still know the company. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Oh, okay, it, got it. this is associated with, so oh, I won't got it. say it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's fine then. We'll cut. We'll leave. Now we'll I leave sound it. mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> what is? Where do you work? It's amazing. <laughs> it's not that exciting, but um, it's nice to see you. I uh, I wanted to have you. I you know have you on because um, your show just launched. Yeah. Basically, and which is just call me Ripley is the name of the show. And it's kind of interesting because I watched it. I had seen all the, I had watched the trailer for it and I'd seen a lot of stuff in it. And I finally binged the whole thing all at one time last night. And it's really, really good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> how good. long did it, how long did it take you? Did you predominantly, so what's great about it is on the website, especially you're like, it's you. And then it's like Shannon and it's like director, producer, writer, and all this stuff. You do a lot of stuff in the comedy scene. Uh yeah well I didn't direct it my friend Cassie directed yeah, it yeah that's I right part of me produced you produced it and, and wrote it and, and started, started it. it yeah 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 um yeah it it um was a crazy learning process uh I knew how to write and I knew how to act I strengthened both of those and I had never produced anything like that before and that was insane yeah it was how long did it take you guys to film the whole thing so to actually film it was only nine days um really but, yeah the okay. production process was a total of two years. The the production process was two years long. Yeah. Goodness. Wow. Just a lot of the the so the shooting was nine days, but was the two two years all together from sort of inception, let's say writing and deciding to execute the project, and then finally editing and putting it out. That was a two year process. Yeah. So I mean, I say two years. It's roughly two years, but yeah, around um, I would say I started working on it probably the summer of 2017 I guess oh really okay so got I it. started writing it and then I had it written by the January of that the the following year so like you know 2018 but you're not so part of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast too to talk about all of this is like one it's really well done and I think that it's uh it's very entertaining and I was curious almost what the writing and editing process was like because it you know, having worked on a, a handful of productions myself, it's just really freaking hard <laughs> to get <laughs> to get anything that's even like halfway decent. And your show is like really good. So uh, I, I thought like just from beginning to end, I was like, you could just watch this all very, very simply. It felt like it was uh, it was it was it was very entertaining and there wasn't any, you know, there was a lot of times I feel like I'm used to I don't want to like backpedal too hard, but I feel like there's a lot of times I'm used to like if I have friends who produce something <laughs> and they're like, check it out. And I watch it and I'm like, oh, that's yeah, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this I actually watched and I was like, oh, this is really good. Like Yo. this is real. There's a through line. That, there's a character you understand. There's like a each episode has a story, but the entire arc of the series is like you can follow through very very simply and it's entertaining it's interesting to watch the the movements that the character goes through through the entire show good um so i guess what i was getting at is like it's very interesting to me because th you, this is not your first project though like you've done a lot of other you have done a lot of like character work in the past and things like this so how did you kind of arrive at this project like where did where did the idea come from and how long have you been sort of thinking about it um well, I I have been doing sketch and improv for about 13 years. And I, over that time, 
basically have like honed my direction a little bit where I was like, I'm kind of all over the place doing sketch and improv and stand up and acting and whatever else. And so I was like, well, what do I like actually want out of this? And I was like, I've always wanted to work in TV. Like that's, I want to be on TV and I want to write for TV. Mm. And so uh, from there, I just was like, okay, how do I get there? So I took a, um, started taking a writing class at IO uh, theater. And uh, this was how long ago? That was actually that summer that I started writing it. So got it. Okay. I was taking a pilot writing class and um, was writing that pilot, and then I was like, I just I want to do this, and I'm gonna do it, and just decided to do it. It's so funny because from the outside, like I, so when I first moved to Chicago, I moved here in 2015, and I met you, and my impression of you has always been like, Shannon's on top of everything. Shannon does everything, and Shannon does everything really well. It's like basically Yo, the cool. <laughs> 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 my mom would be very proud and confused. <laughs> no, I just because like I I forget when and how long I had known you, but uh, I remember you know I r- run into you at open mics all the time when I first moved here, and then after a while I was like, wait, Shannon's on like this show and that show, and then like you were opening for Beth Stelling when she came here, and uh, which was a really fun show to go watch. And, like, all of your jokes hit, and, like, uh, and then you were doing all these, like, character shows, which I thought were so cool, um, like um, Trash Baby. Oh, yeah. And, uh, which was a, gr- a really fun show to watch. Thanks. Uh, and uh, I, I just, it's curious, because it feels like you're somebody who, like, how long have you been in, um, perform- have, how long have you been performing in one way or another? Because it feels like you kind of, uh, at least from my perspective, and maybe it's because I, I arrived here and got to know you sort of after you've you know, really put in obviously a lot of work before that, but it's fascinating because from my perspective, it feels like you are just this, you're like a virtuoso at all of these things. Cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't mean to lot you. No. I don't know. I don't mean to make it like <laughs> no, awkward. I'll sit here and take that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just think like you came and did my house show like out of nowhere and crushed it. I've just, I've never seen you not, you know, on the back foot or anything. I've never been like, wow, Shannon did that and it didn't work out or anything like that. Like, it feels like you've kind of been on th- everything I see you do. It feels like you do really well. So I think, um, yeah. So 2015, that was, uh, I would have stopped drinking by then. So you didn't <laughs> catch me in the downswing. Uh, <laughs> cool. Nice. Awesome. Starting to, starting to make friendships with people who do not know me as a drunk. Uh, <laughs> nice. so yeah, I definitely had some downswings. Uh, I started perform. I mean, I've been like doing school plays and all that stuff since I was a kid. Sure. Um, but I, I moved to Chicago. Well, I started doing improv in New York in 2006, I think. Oh shit. So um, where, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Connecticut, which, uh, uh about three hours from New York, closer to Boston. I'm always like, I'm not from that fancy it. part of Connecticut. Yeah. Not from the Greenwich, Connecticut. Not from Greenwich. You're more from like what Hartford or like, yeah, what's... Hartford, but like a little bit, uh, Northwest of that or Northeast, Northeast. I'm from stores, Connecticut, Got which it. is where the Yukon Huskies are from. Yeah. Well, you know, great. The more, you know, the more, you know, <laughs> So yeah, I started the, then. Yukon, oh the Yukon, U C O N N. I'm like, why U K O N? Yukon Huskies. I'm like, you know, what are they? They just thought it was cute to University of Connecticut. Yeah. They made Yukon, yep. but then it confuses everybody. There's no <laughs> good reason for it. <laughs> uh, you should just call it U of C or something. I know. Uh, so, okay. So anyway, so you started doing performance. You grew up in Connecticut, and you but you you did improv in New York. So did you move to New York first? I didn't. I was one of those people who commuted 
uh, three hours each way Jesus. a couple times a week. What? And I was like <laughs> crashing on. I had a cousin who lived in Hoboken, so I'd crash on her couch. And then I would crash eventually on like friends' couches. That's so and, inconvenient. <laughs> oh, it's completely. I was taking a lot of speed. Uh, that really helped out. <laughs> um, oh yeah. my god, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess when you put. I mean, I was gonna be like, yeah, when you want it that bad. But like, if you're, yeah, if you're like slamming, you know, uppers. Yeah, <laughs> to, you just if you just like, like are getting prescribed uppers and just feels taking like, them in copious amounts. That's so funny. <laughs> that feels like the improv drug when you think about it. It's like. <laughs> yeah, it also makes you a horrible improviser because you're just like, you know, it makes you like a robot. Yeah, you're you just like, keep, you're just, uh, your brain is just moving a thousand miles an hour yeah. and nothing real is coming out. <laughs> yeah, you're not, like improv is about vulnerability and emotion of which none of that affords you. Like, that is so yeah. funny to me. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I um, I did improv for a really long time and uh, never did. I'm not a drug person. I don't have a, I've never had it. I think it's because, it, you know, my family, I grew up in Detroit and I just saw it like ruin a whole bunch of people's lives who I knew. For sure. So I just kind of never, it never, it, I was like, yeah, it just doesn't look like a very good, I, I, I really shudder to think what Brendan Lemon would be like. <laughs> As a drug guy, what do you think? Do you think that you would Dude, be like? I uh, can't. I'm barely functional as it is. Like, <laughs> and I'm I'm on top of it. Like, I don't. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have, and I still feel like my life barely works out. <laughs> you don't think? Would you be like a anxious drug guy, or would you be like a just like a party drug? guy? Oh, I'd be so paranoid all the time. Yeah, that's how I was. I was I was anxious. I would be really anxious, and I would be really. I would be worried all the time. I think I would just I. I kind of feel like it would take me through. Like I've never done. Pe- I've had a handful of people ever tell me they're like, "I really love to do. We gotta do mushrooms together, man. Like I really want to do mushrooms with you." And I'm like, "I would never do, dude. I would be. Do you know? Do you understand? Like what that would do to my head? Yeah. I would be like, no. I th- there's a robot inside of me. Like I just <laughs> don't think. I think it's the most off the wall thoughts would come out of my head. And That's it the just, point of mushrooms, though. I think. It's yeah, to, like, but bring I just up your deepest darkest. But secrets. I don't know if I want to know what's in there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a great reason not to do mushrooms because they will bring up what's in there. It's I've only just, done them once and it brought up everything that I didn't want to know. It's just so weird. Maybe that's just me. Like there was a, when I grew up, I grew up in Michigan. There's this, uh, there's this like deep fishing hole in, uh, I think oh the, my God, that's the most Michigan thing ever. I know. And the, it's in the rifle river. I remember where oh it is. God. And it's, there's this one bend and, uh, I used to go there with all my cousins and they always wanted to be, and it was deep i mean like you couldn't see the bottom of it it was a river that was a not a very deep river but this one part of it was just super deep and everybody was always like oh we gotta dive down and see what's at the bottom of it and i'm like i don't want to do that yeah <laughs> i don't, I don't want to see what's at the bottom of this thing it's gonna be you're gonna go down and come back up with a tentacle attached to you or something yeah you're like i don't want to that's adventure no way i yeah. don't take this lawn chair thank you yeah I, it's not like i didn't like doing crazy shit like i used to take the toy box lid off the toy box and then ride it down the stairs in my parents' house. Just onto a concrete floor, like yeah, yeah, down yeah. the stairs into the basement, no child. But for some reason, the idea of like going into a dark place and trying to figure out what and just like see what's there. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Damn. <laughs> okay. So I feel like I'd be more into going into that deep pit, except I don't love water, but I'd be more interested in that than getting hurt going down the stairs. Okay, interesting. All right, so you were so I, does that? That's fascinating to me because I feel like maybe that partially informs a little bit of the art that you're creating because it feels like the character work that you do, um, and I'm only basing this on the on Trash Baby and then on uh, Just Call Me Ripley. But there's a part of it that I'm like, oh, this is exploratory. Like this feels like you're trying to, in in and I say you, not just a, I mean you as the artist and as the character. 
are trying to figure out something about yourself and in the world through the exploration of those characters that's what it feels like yo thank you yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i uh, i also for uh, really posterity's sick. sake would like to describe what trash baby is yeah you should uh, actually i would say i will before you say this i want to say it is really satisfying to give somebody a compliment and then see like see your face and you're like thanks like <laughs> satisfying yeah <laughs> i just feel like there's so many people i could be like wow that was really good and they're like oh yeah okay cool yeah, that's one thing I've tried to learn because it does suck to give someone a compliment and they're like, oh, dude. And you're like, yeah, well, I don't want to give it to you a second time. So yeah. go away. Yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Trash Baby. So that's why I love hearing Trash Baby described as art because Trash Baby <laughs> is this character I do, which is just a dirty, disgusting person who uh, the origin was that they spontaneously burst into existence from a trash can. Yeah, in a in a in in a garbage in a big. But I thought it was a garbage bin. It wasn't just a trash can. Yeah. So I, well, the the opening is always that uh, that trash baby uh, uh, used condom, touched a used tampon in the back <laughs> in a high school trash compactor, and trash baby spongy. It was it was when un- the hot sun. Hit. That's so funny. It was unique to watch that show because part of me was like, "What is Shannon trying to do here?" <laughs> <laughs> just gross people my goal i think with i realize like ultimately the things i want to make i just want people to go what the fuck <laughs> or just like why <laughs> but that's not but just call me ripley doesn't feel i don't get that reaction at all no, that's I was me behaving it. myself uh got it yeah 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 um I, which i love it's like um been a, that was more of like uh how do i reach people because not everybody wants to watch a d- person paint with ketchup like how do I do something that's uh, which literally more happened? Yeah, literally happened to Trash Baby. Yeah, you painted with ketchup. There was a whole. You were so you had covered with condiments and like all this stuff by the end of that show. <laughs> it's so gross. Someone I did it as a, I did it. It's like a solo show, so it was like a like a short solo show. It was like forty five minutes, and um, I did it at shithole, which they have that attic space. Yep. And um, somebody passed out during the show because it smelled so much like ketchup oh that they got so grossed out <laughs> oh they passed out. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you, I hate ketchup. Oh, I do too. After that, doing that show, I was like, "This is gross." Like, why? Do I don't know why this? people like it. I think it's honestly, I think it's terrible. I'll still eat it, but it's not my favorite. It's all it, it it's mashed up put tomatoes and sugar. And then tiny, b- and then sodium. It's it's the grossest thing. And like vinegar. It's horrible. There's yeah, so, so many gross. better condiments. Oh yeah, you could put barbecue sauce on anything that you put ketchup on. Easily, you could put. Better. And then for most of the things that you can put ketchup on, I would prefer to just put on vinegar. Oh yeah. Just vinegar and salt. End of story. And then I don't have to get this goopy, sugary shit all over everything. And it's sticky. Well, and then like bees show up. Yeah, <laughs> you have a problem. You get. I don't have bees show up. You just have bees show up. <laughs> Yeah, when you're outside at like a barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the bees show up. Yeah. <laughs> if they weren't there before, I mean, the bees. If you put out vinegar, bees aren't going to show up. If you yeah, put out ketchup, true. bees are going to show up. Okay. I mean, that's good. I'll watch out for bees now. Now I'm thanks. I'm going to be scared of bees on my French fries. <laughs> this is just a PSA for anybody listening to this yeah, don't podcast. Put ketchup on your stuff. Or bees I probably lost the whole audience there. I just like. I feel like that's a real. If people if people meet me and they go like uh, and they realize oh I'm a guy who doesn't like ketchup. There's a weird judgment that takes place. Yeah. Where people are like you don't <laughs> like. You don't. Are you what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like somebody learning that you have like some kind of really abhorrent opinion on something. Here's how you can here's how you can tell though if like they came from a family. Did you ever have anyone in your family who made their own ketchup? Ooh, ah uh, no. Maybe. Maybe my dad did. I don't know. 
There's like uh if you've ever had homemade ketchup, like anytime I've had it, it's disgusting. Uh like ninety percent of the time. I've had it one time where I was like, Oh, you did an alright job. But like I feel like if anyone grew up with homemade ketchup, they'd agree with you. My dad is the kind of guy who would make his own ketchup. Yeah. Is he like a doomsday prepper? No, he's just a he's just a strange man. He just has a series of strange little like, some of his shit is kind of cool, but like there's something I really respect about him. I should say this before I even get into this, which is that my dad genuinely does not give a shit what other people think about what he does. That's a <laughs> good quality. He he so doesn't care if if he if other people he has no interest in other people's opinions on what on anything he does <laughs> and uh and and that can go well and it can go poorly because one of the things that he did is he literally he had this old this just happened we should i want to return to talking about your projects by the way and your entire i want to know where this is going <laughs> <laughs> right. so this it's it's not cr- the first part is not crazy he chopped down this mulberry tree in his yard, right? He lives in northwest lower Michigan, kind of near these like Traverse City. are the most City. Michigan. We've got Rifle River. Rifle and River. A fishing hole. Fishing hole. And now mulberry we got mulberry tree. trees getting chopped down. Yeah, it's getting okay. a, it's going to go further in that direction. So yeah. he chopped down this mulberry tree. It was a hundred and something year old mulberry tree, um, which was ki- kind of disgusting. Uh, I mean, the tree was disgusting. It just produces this fruit that tastes awful and it falls on the ground. Everything around it is sticky. Talk about bees. Oh, and yeah. then, so he chopped this tree down and he cleared like a quarter acre of land or something. I don't, I don't really exactly know how big an acre is, but a, a <laughs> sure. lot of land cleared up. A chunk of land. A whole chunk of it. Um, hectares of land. Hands. <laughs> hands. <laughs> Why do they measure horses in hands? Because, you-, you know, they just want to put their hands all over those horses. <laughs> molesting horses <laughs> just, <laughs> oh my god dude okay uh so he cleared this land so then he planned he created his own vineyard in his own yard in this town like he just he decided to just he ordered the vines from this really strange small website got them built this entire vineyard in his yard and then like now has a vineyard in his yard this is dope yeah and i was like dad did you get permission from the city to do this and he was like no he just like, did it. He just did it. He didn't get permission to do any of that. And Does he make wine? Yeah, he makes his own wine in his oh, basement. Oh, yeah, you definitely need permission for that. Yeah. I feel like. <laughs> right? Maybe not. He just doesn't He doesn't give a shit. And, like, somebody showed up, I guess, from the city to ask what he was doing. Yeah. And he just told him. He was like, yeah, I'm just making a vineyard. And the guy was like, oh, uh, okay. And then, like, drove away. And my dad's like, eh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> like, he just, that's the kind of stuff he does all the time. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's great in that regard. But then in the other regard, and I have respect for it, but in the other regard, it's like he really likes, and this is a, totally true, he really likes running coffee grounds a second time. Oh, dude. <laughs> There was a time in my life when I could relate to that, but what? that is nasty. <laughs> it's so bad. He just, like, he'll run them once, and then he'll drink the coffee, and then he'll just leave them, and then the next morning he'll just run them again. Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, I can't, it makes sense to me, and I know it's I'm wrong so for that. It's so gross. Yeah, Why does that make sense to you? Because it's cheap. It's like, yeah, you don't want to throw them away. It's so fucking. you got to tell him, though, he can use those coffee grounds in his compost pile. Yeah, and it makes put them out. Better. Put them out in your vineyard or whatever. Yeah, it, it'll help the soil. Tell them that there's something so, I just I can't like in my brain I can't understand even where to begin with that. Like you, what you, 
what what it, it tastes nothing like the original coffee it has no caffeine in it yeah it's it's i just yeah because it comes out it's just like it's like hot water with a little bit of a gross old it's like coffee the coffee's taste. old urine is like what you're tasting yeah it's it is like also coffee grounds that have been wet and sat for a day taste like trash yeah it's it does taste like i it, used to run them a second time the same day so like i'd use less coffee grounds and have yeah. like a percolator and just like put the water through drink that and then put water through a second time so the, like like i'll have okay so this is this is riveting audio but yeah i'll have like uh, we're not talking about something normal where someone goes like they have the coffee and then you run it and then like you're not quite done with the pot maybe you want just slightly more coffee so you just put more water in there and it comes out and it mixes with the already made coffee that's not that old that's not what i'm talking about i mean a i made coffee 24 hours later when this is all done and I've thrown out the coffee that I had from yesterday, I'm just going to put water in and run it one more time. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's disgusting. That's right? disgusting. I, I get, I still get the uh, <laughs> philosophy behind it. I My know gosh, it's wrong, yeah. but I get it. Okay. I mean, maybe this is why you can take, this is why, this is why I need to take shrooms is so maybe I can, my brain, wherever your brain goes, it can reach into that place and then pull something out. It's yeah, just because it's gonna, I never went down to the dark the dark swimming hole. Once you go to that place, you're going to want to reuse everything. <laughs> <laughs> like tea bags, condoms, condoms, <laughs> toilet paper, fucking <laughs> It's to- gross. Toilet paper. <laughs> it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. There's still parts of that paper that's usable. Still usable. That sounds like the thing that my dad would say. There's still good stuff on there. There's still good stuff on that toilet paper my dad would like uh he's like very into um he he's a microbiologist so he knows about like bacteria and stuff Mm. so but he's also like grew up very poor and so he uses his knowledge to um know what mold he can eat and so he'll eat like old bread with mold on it and like no this is fine this is the good mold and it's like oh but like but it's but look but it's green it doesn't taste good and he's like yeah but it's still edible oh my god like go spend a dollar that's very interesting that your your dad's a microbiologist my mother is a microbiologist and also grew up very poor what does she do that kind of stuff uh she did she she definitely has poor person habits yeah habits that like a person who even grew up middle class wouldn't have mm-hmm. like one time i remember I, this i don't know why but it i we did this growing up but it didn't strike me until high school that like i opened the dishwasher once at our house and inside of it was all of these there was like 10 ziploc bags oh my god my mom does that too yeah that she and i was like what the fuck mom <laughs> totally and she's like we're reusing them and my dad thought it was so funny he was like we'll be millionaires like we just (laughs) don't have to buy new ziploc bags that's amazing that's like but that is like i think my mom my mom didn't grow up poor but she wasn't like she was like on the lower income side of stuff but um they definitely she reuses ziploc bags her grandparents her parents were in the great depression so oh, there's yeah. like great depression habits left oh over. yeah my grandparents same th- same thing they, they can't let anything go they yeah. own everything they've ever owned they can't they have no it's like it's it's actually kind of and then like now we live in this like marie Kondo world of like get everything is it. disposable yeah just yeah. get rid of it does it bring you joy anymore no get the get rid of it right right it's hard i can't do it <laughs> i can't do it because i it's like been passed down through the generations where i'm like I might need it, or uh, I could thing. remake this. Into I have something an entire else. closet full of shirts that don't even fit anymore. Yeah, it's like, well, I could redo it. <laughs> I maybe I, maybe I'll use them again. Yeah, like, it's, 
It's just like, I still use, my roommates are so grossed out, but like I use old underwear as rags. (laughs) Like why? It's good cloth. (laughs) Like I clean the house with it. Oh my God. That's like a, that's almost, that should have been a line in Trash Baby. That's that's normal. You reuse coffee grounds, you reuse underwear. Yeah, you can reuse the, you can use the underwear as the coffee filter. Exactly. You know what? (laughs) I'm not saying that. It's not, it's not that far off. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this took a, a real nosedive, but yeah. let's get back. I want to get back to, uh, to continue to talk about sort of your, so you were commuting to New York twice a week, three hours each way. When did you move to Chicago then? I moved here. Um, so I was doing that for like a year and then I realized. In 06. In, uh, yeah, like 06 and I moved here in 07. Okay. Got so it. So I moved here to go to Columbia college and then, um, take classes at IO. Got it. Okay, cool. Uh, it, well, back and back then, it's funny to think about, but like twelve years ago, that was a different. This was a different sort of whole scene. So different. Also, um, yeah. So like when I was doing improv, I was doing improv shows with the people who are like now like big names that we see around. Interesting. Okay. Um, they would be like the stand-ups on the show, and there just wasn't the same stand-up scene from what I could tell. It was like I, I there was much more of a division where like improvisers hated standups and like, um, I don't know. Yeah. It was like a, it's so stupid. Now. I still feel like there's a kind of some animosity there or something. There always will be. Cause improvisers are more well adjusted. We just, I, I, I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> I think I, I talked with Colby Kennedy about this recently because I feel like I did improv for a long time and I kind of stopped doing it because I got really tired of dealing with uh, many other improvisers. Yeah. I think I, maybe, maybe, more well adjusted as it goes they're certainly more social you know what they're I mean? more social yeah which can be a problem but i think i don't know if it's like a problem for everybody or just for anti-social stand-ups yeah it could be <laughs> it could just be a problem for anti-social stand-ups i feel like there's a kind of because of the, the whatever you know you can the problem is like a, a improv every almost every improv group i've been a member of uh, I'm in the group and everybody has the same histrionic personality. They all mm. want the attention. And I'm like, that's for me. No. <laughs> and, <laughs> it is like, that's, and that's why you become a standup. <laughs> yeah. And so, but that's what's so weird about standup is it's like, you could be on a show with other standups and you guys, and you don't, I don't have, I don't feel a sense of like, if somebody else has a good set, I don't feel like I'm in competition with them necessarily. Well, then you're better adjusted than a lot of stand-ups. I, <laughs> I mean, I let me put it this way. Like, I don't have to be... Like, if somebody gets up and kills and then I do poorly, then I'm, like, mad at myself. Yeah. But if I if somebody else does well and they do, like, super well and then I get up and do well... You know what I mean? I feel fine. I don't feel like we're, you know, how much better did that guy do than I did or something? Totally. Well, with improv, it's like, uh, man, is improv a boring topic? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you're, you're uh, pitted against each other in a bizarre way because you're like, who's going to stay on the Herald team? They got to be the funniest one here. Oh, yeah. It's like a weird, the whole, the it's it's like a strange, contrived like and it's like a contest except the there's no nobody wins anything everybody loses and the audience loses the <laughs> hardest <laughs> okay that's real yeah uh so anyway the so you started doing so you started doing a whole bunch of rough but like i'm curious what like so what were some of the people who you're doing shows with then who are like famous now 
Um, Wooly Hannibal would be on shows, and um, uh, uh, TJ TJ Miller. Yeah. Uh, mm. Oops. <laughs> and um, uh, just like I think it was like folks like that. Honestly, I really don't remember a lot of it because mm. I was wasted and self centered. <laughs> so, but people will tell me that they're like, "Do you remember when we used to do shows and like Hannibal was there?" Or like, um, I'm trying to think who else. Like whoever like came out of Chicago, you know, Pete, Pete Holmes probably. I think he was a little bit before my time, um, like him and, and that crew. Um, who else was around? I mean, like, definitely, like, uh, Cameron and Beth and, um, like, that Got crew it. as yeah, well. Yeah, all that whole around. group of people. Yeah, yeah. So what, so, okay, so you were, because this is fascinating for me to hear because I feel like you're such a, I feel like you're such a positive person now and, like, so... You're, like, very cool, easy to talk to. I can't imagine you being a self-centered person who's, like, wasted and, like, puts other people off or anything like that. Like, what was – how how into that were you, and then how did that, like, change? I was uh, – so I, I was never, like – I don't think I was ever, like, a mean drunk or anything like that. Yeah. I was just – and it honestly, I don't – I think that unless you were kind of an intuitive person, wouldn't have known that I was that way. Interesting. Um, because I was very good at hiding it to uh-huh. some extent. And also, everybody else is pretty drunk, so <laughs> – it yeah, was like easy point. to blend in. Yeah. Um. But I. Uh, uh. Yeah. I was just like. I mean. I was also really closed in on myself. I was not mm. out. I was still presenting very feminine. And yeah. Kind of was just very quiet. Did you have long hair like in the like in the in, I, in the Call Me Ripley? I did. I I could dig out a picture. I don't know if I have any immediately on. It's hand. so weird to me because I've never known you to have long hair. And there's a it. I almost didn't even. My brain didn't even register that it was you. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much that makes a difference, to be honest. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's crazy. Like, cutting my hair was a huge turning point for me. Really? Yeah. Um, I, like, the, that, the, so the series is loosely based on my coming out story. Sure. Very loosely. Um, to the extent that I, I was living with a man, I wasn't engaged to him, but we'd been together for about four years. Yeah. And, um, kind of, I think the assumption was that at some point we'd get married and uh was that man also max thomas from the show it was max <laughs> thomas from the show <laughs> max who's like a good six years younger than me <laughs> he's so been, talented he been in high school yeah, yeah that's really funny he's so talented he's so great um but uh uh yeah so uh he was also an improviser this guy and uh i so i was like just kind of like very submissive to him and his friends not that they like asked me to be but that at that time I didn't know how to be any other way. So uh-huh. I was just like, um, kind of like, you know, like a dog rolling over on my back and showing my belly to everybody. Like just very, got it. Um, like, uh, yeah, it just kind of gave up easily on everything. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of went with whatever was wherever anything was going. Yeah. And tried to blend in because I knew that I was different, but I didn't really want to look at it yet. And uh-huh. I wasn't ready to go into that, uh, rifle river <laughs> abyss. Of, uh, <laughs> maybe that's like, what I'm really avoiding. Yeah. I maybe know. you're actually gay. You that should take it, take jump a look. into it. I know. <laughs> it's, I, I know. <laughs> Honestly, I think everyone's gay. So whatever. <laughs> well, let's say the Kinsey scale says that most people fall somewhere between what, like two and six or something. Or there's, I forget how it works, but there's some, yeah. The normal range of people is in like is in is kind of distributed towards the middle, which is what I guess you would expect, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, I always think about it like uh in terms of like bonobos or monkeys, you know? Like we're really yeah. just like kind of smart monkeys, but our sexuality is <laughs> not much above that. I mean, not that would, uh, there's anything above, but like I think that yeah. we're kind of just like what hunt. There's just anything. all animals. Yeah, we're, we're just, just all animals. animals. 
whatever it, feels good. It shouldn't surprise me. I mean, it shouldn't surprise anybody that anybody does anything. You know what I mean? Oh or my god, it, completely. Or that anything is confusing to anyone. I mean, like I guess I feel like you know, there's all this weird. There's all these like weird cultural norms wrapped around. Um, particularly sexuality because it's like a very important it's like a very important thing for some you know what I mean because I, I in a way that's kind of what life's all about is like that whatever that impulse is like that's why we're all here and we continue to do things yeah so it I guess makes sense that there's a lot of attention paid to it but what's weird to me is I feel like we just you know, like any you know people it's we're all just a bunch of animals and it doesn't I don't think that we should have any kind of like strange attachments to anything that like screws us up if anybody ever i talking like it sounds like i fucked a horse or something but like <laughs> which if you had a hey man i'm only <laughs> mad at it or i'd only be not okay with it because i don't think a horse can consent keep imagining putting my hands on them. <laughs> yeah keep on molesting a horse i uh, mean but truly like um you see that video of that chimp fucking a frog like, no what <laughs> jesus christ what all right I, now i'm I like oh, it a, sounds like i was looking i for did it. see a video of a dolphin fucking a dead carp though that was rough because <laughs> the dolphin the thing is is because the dolphins like you're like what the fuck is this dolphin doing there's like a dead floating fish yeah and then this dolphin comes up and he's like bumping it oh my god and then like the dolphin gets this huge erection and just puts it right in the fish and i'm like all right okay great yeah that's enough internet for today (laughs) thank you internet (laughs) honestly like before the internet when i was a kid like i think when we were learning sex ed stuff at some point we watched a video and it was a rhinoceros humped a rock and broke its dick. Jesus. <laughs> and I don't remember if that was with sex ed or oh if my I saw God, that on that's TV so heavy. at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like the, the zookeepers were like, you wanted that bad. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor rock. <laughs> so at least that dolphin was doing it to something that wasn't going to break it. You yeah. Know? And it, it was already dead. Good point, I guess. That's messed up, man. It was messed up. It was. So, but then part but of me also, it? when I think about it, is I'm like, you're in the fucking ocean. There's not, you don't have any hands. Yeah. The dolphin can't rub one out. Right, that dolphin is just gotta, doing what it can. Got to do something. That's so awful, though. But I mean, and it's like God, uh, you think that... you're like, well, that's like kind of one of the most next most intelligent animals. I think just as animals get more intelligent, they just use it to fuck weirder fuck shit. Fuck weirder, weirder things. I feel very bad for that frog. Yeah, that it, it's an upsetting. It's an upsetting video. Jesus. Um. But anyway, just to draw it anyway, back. Anyway, I it's like... you know, hey, um, <laughs> gay rights organizations. I just like to say I'm not out here trying to conflate to... bestiality no, with no. homosexuality. No, but I, the the point. But I think that there's a. But but here's what I mean by that is I think that there is a group of people that attempt to portray. Uh, you know whatever human behavior is like oh it's like animalistic and bad and i guess i'm saying that no it's like we're all animals and there's no moral judgment there it's just this is all the whole thing that happens and if you know something like you were saying you're like a horse can't consent that's true you shouldn't fuck anything that doesn't consent to you doing it yeah but like the aside from that it doesn't like any kind of impulse that comes from there is like we're natural things come from that place like, I don't think there should be any judgments there. It doesn't mean you should go do it. Yeah, but I like, think, like, action is different from, you know. There you go. Yeah. From thinking about it. I think that there's such, like, a puritanical, uh, uh, like, constraints on our brains, you know. That's, like, I found that, like, coming out, I had to work through so much of that. Really? And I still do. It, it was fascinating for me to watch um, the, to watch Just Call Me Ripley because I feel like I, I, I've never dealt with a identity you know, crisis, uh, if, if that's what you want to call. Because the thing that's strange about this also, I should say, is that 
crisis is also like not a is implies that there's some kind of like intense like pressure to this like you got to make a decision now about this but what i think is interesting about your show is that that there 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 is no it didn't feel like there is a lot of pressure like the world continues to put ripley in this in these situations in which that question has to kind of be answered at the moment Mm -hmm. but none of those answers are like a this is forever right now you have to make this choice and I thought that that was kind of interesting in that I've never had to de- deal with, I've never had a lot of those thoughts move through my head. Yeah. Like, I think, uh, you know, I just wasn't, I, I was attracted to women when I was uh, young enough that it just, that's what felt natural to me. And I just have never really questioned it. Yeah. And, which is maybe why I didn't go swimming in the Rifle River that day. <laughs> you were like, I've never <laughs> had to go in that depth and I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, fine. I'm fine up here. I'm fine. Yeah. I'll just hang out here where everybody's straight. It's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Uh, uh, <laughs> but but it was fascinating for me to watch because I've never had to go through that. So it was truly a novel story for me to be like, this is fascinating. Like, there's an entire world that I actually don't really understand, but I can. But you presented it in such a way that it's actually, I feel like, really accessible. Good. I'm glad that it is. I That's kind of what I want to do because I feel like a lot of coming out stories have been made um, in a way like coded for straight people where they're like, this person always knew and they're just not telling you. Interesting. As opposed to like they may might not know themselves. And also like I wish that when I was coming out, someone had told me it's not that big a deal. Like you don't have to put so much pressure on yourself to label yourself and like know it right now. That's I feel like that's that's fascinating to hear because that first of all, I feel like there's a huge relief that probably comes from that and, 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 and feeling that because it, it, it does feel like that's kind of the theme of the show is that there's this, you don't have like Ripley continues to kind of, this is a question that, you know, they struggle with in the show, but then there's no necessary need for an exact answer right now. And things kind of just continue anyway. Yeah. And, and and maybe there's got kind of relief that comes from that. Um, but the second thing that I think is fascinating is that I, of the coming out narratives that I have, you know, seen or I've 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 uh, you know uh, engaged with and through art, a lot of them are like intensely personal to the place to the point where I almost can't relate. Like I actually can't access that space. Like I understand mm-hmm. that like whatever happened in there, like that was important for you but I kind of don't get it. But watching this show, I felt like, oh, I kind of get this. Like, I can't, I, I get it because it, it doesn't, I guess, I guess it's because it wasn't so in, intense in that kind of way. Cool. Like, it was just kind of more like a series of conversations that, like, it felt more relatable. Like, this is how this works its way out in the world. Yeah. And I was like, I can see somebody, this is probably what, you know, their life is actually like is like, this is, this is actually, I'm at work and I'm just talking to a handful of different people and I'm trying to get their perspectives on this. And what do I do now? A guy's giving me his phone number and I'm not interested, but like now I'm in that situation and now I'm, here's a woman that I'm attracted to, but like, what does that really mean? Kind of. And like a lot of, and, and, and it just felt a lot more accessible, I think in that kind of way. Good. I'm glad. I mean, a part of it in writing it and like um, when we were writing our grant papers and all this is that like <laughs> you, uh, it was uh, uh, like not. Yeah, not to get like super academic, but like that everybody has like their own coming out story and then not also to give away the power of um, coming out as queer because that is its own process. And it's important, I think, for the queer community to hold on to that term specifically. But um, there, everybody does have a coming out 
all throughout their life is just change. Like we all have change. We all realize stuff about ourselves and we all have to like deal mm. with it. You mm. know, but you're only kind of, you're constantly only ever you're rediscovering that as you're working your way out in the world, that your identity is more so the choices that you're making as you move through time, not necessarily the choices that you've already made. Yeah. And like, kind of like, yeah, like recalibrating every once in a while. So like you might coming out might be, um, I don't know, like even like figuring out that you're not attracted to your partner anymore and being like, Oh shit. Interesting. Like I've got to now deal yeah. with this. Yeah. I guess that's fascinating that you have to stay kind of in relationship to your own. Cause I think the thing that I do that I, th- this is, this is something I do identify with. I think from, from this kind of narrative that makes sense to me is that y- at a certain level, you're almost kind of a, of, of, I don't, victim's a strong word, but like a victim of your own feelings in the sense that like you you don't, I've never understood people who say things like, well, you can just choose to like, just choose to not, like I have friends and I mean, not even related to like sexual orientation. There's just, I didn't remember having friends in high school and college who would just be like, well, just, I'm just not going to choose to be attracted to that guy or something. And I'm like, right. how the fuck can you do that? <laughs> like you just, you just wake up and you're like, no, I'm just going to make a choice to not. <laughs> I don't care. Like I, right. I've never in my life ever gotten like aroused and been like, I'm just going to choose to not have a boner right now. Yeah. Like it just <laughs> never happened to me one time. I think it's like uh, that difference between like, uh, uh, like your impulses versus your actions, right? Yeah. Like you can yeah. choose to not yeah. go date that guy, but yeah. you're probably not going to choose to not be attracted to him. Yeah. That's a very good, I actually, that makes a lot of sense. It's cause it's like, these are all these are all things that are moving, just moving around inside of you. And it's funny because I think that this doesn't just apply to, I think, who you're attracted to. I think it's just that impulse and then decision relates to lots of different things. And I think that we, we start entering, I mean, we meaning culturally and socially start entering kind of strange and, and, and maybe even dangerous territory when we start shaming people for the impulse mm-hmm. rather than the decision making. Totally. So it's like, it, you, you know, if you can, sh- I, I like, I, I just got done with this work situation and like, it was really frustrating and it was really shitty. And I remember talking to some people and being like, I fucking want to, and I would say things like, dude, I want to burn my office to the ground. This is like driving me nuts. And you heard the stand up I, I did last <laughs> night. Yeah. And I, cause I said that one day after having a horrible meeting, it was so bad. And it was like this meeting in which I was trying to, the joke f- for everybody listening is, uh, I'll say, I'll say it in a second, but I had this horrible meeting where nobody was listening to my ideas. Yeah. And I was like, this business is burning down. And like, I'm trying to tell everybody what I think needs to happen. And every people are just dismissing me in the room. And then in my head, I was like, I would, I should bring a gun into work (laughs) to like, they would have to listen to me then. (laughs) And and that's when you know to leave a job. (laughs) Yeah. That's, and I quit right after that. So (laughs) I mean like, and I, and, and in my head when I first wrote the joke and it was me just writing in my notebook about stuff and it's maybe a joke I have to take out. It's maybe not workable for obvious reasons, but like when I first said it, it felt like such a huge relief to say that on stage because I was like. I'm going to bring a gun to work, not because I want to hurt anybody, but because I wanted to know, like, I could, you know, maybe you should listen to me in this marketing meeting. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. And obviously I would never do that. Um, and you could argue with tons of good reasons is probably not a great joke for 2019 for all the things that we have going on in the world. But. Or maybe it is if you reword it. Maybe. I mean, yeah, like yeah, it is. It's yeah. terrifying. Maybe. But, like. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, exactly. And maybe the first step is me. Maybe the first step is me very poorly articulating myself before I have to more accurately articulate myself. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the problem. And just to get back to this is like maybe. I've thought about this a lot, like 
you know, as <laughs> said the said the straight cis white man. I've thought about this a lot though, but it's funny because you know my family in Michigan is like not really conservative, but they're just people who just don't understand. Like we haven't, we have like no gay family members, and going from accepting the idea that okay, there's gay people and they exist and that's okay, to then like now there's trans people. My family's like, what is that even? Like, they have no concept of like what any of uh, any of it is, and I think just to back up is it's like this is a these are people who just like call me Ripley kind of I think walks you through is like these are these are people who have are trying to understand their identities, and maybe that had to go through socially a very poor articulation before it could go through a very nuanced and accurate articulation, mm-hmm. and having patience with that i think is pro- is really important because you know you're you you have to do something poorly before you could do it well even if that thing is understanding yourself yeah 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 i think so i don't know i think um it's interesting like where we're at in time right now because i feel like um we are no one is listening to each other right now and i think that that's like where a lot of our pain is coming from yeah for sure and especially like it's uh it's difficult uh navigating that because it's like we all want to um uh like yell our pain because everybody's in pain right now i think and uh nobody everybody's just yelling their pain and no one's listening to it Mm. and i think that like um finding a way to show people that we all like pain feels kind of the same to all of us or something i don't know where i'm going with this but like that just like showing people that uh that our difficulty in, in kind of expressing ourselves is all similar. There's a, um, I'm a big fan of Krishnamurti, uh, who's a, you know, a spiritual thinker and writer. And one of the things that he said, he has this, uh, he has, I have this great book called on fear, which is just all of Krishnamurti's talks he ever gave about fear. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is fascinating about it is there is only one fear. That's it. There's only one. It's not like I'm afraid of, spiders and flying and a comet hitting the earth they're all one thing mm-hmm. and as soon as you recognize that you're not fighting a thousand battles anymore you're only fighting one yeah and i think that there's something that's similar to that and like there's a common pain and it's like it doesn't matter what it is it's just it's just the one thing yeah and as soon as we all recognize that socially then it suddenly becomes a lot easier to understand one another because it's like this we're not all like look you're, you know, you might be afraid of losing your job and you might be afraid of getting, you know, maybe getting rejected by a group of people who you want to get accepted by. And maybe you want to be, who knows what it is, but it's like, we're just all afraid of the same things and all the things that pain us are the same things. Yeah. And like, we don't, and, and maybe like the thing that feels like it needs that what needs to happen is just everybody needs to kind of like chill out a little bit and like turn down the volume on like all of these different things and then maybe there can be some space for connection i think so too i do want to also recognize though that i feel like right now it's um it is difficult like even just today i was having a really rough time because i feel like i get extremely exhausted trying to leave space for people to understand me Mm. and it's that's really important to me to be able to do Mm. but to be able to give people i think that's like the importance of like safe spaces is to give people a place to recuperate for a minute because while i would love like I love going to Indiana and doing a show for people who've never seen a trans person before. Sure. And letting them just kind of like, you know, it's like a baby. You just let them look at you for a minute 
and and let them ask questions and let them kind of figure it out mm-hmm. um and then like you know gently explain stuff to them but that's like such a tiring process or you could never do that all the time yeah, yeah. You'd, be, you'd be exhausted right so i think like it is like there is like got to be some recognition of power imbalances in there because i'm sure like i'm a white um masculine leaning trans person which gives me more privilege than like a black trans woman would yeah. have yeah yep so there's like just always watching those power imbalances and stuff and making space for that sure in it it's funny because i think that uh i feel it's funny because i feel like i'm a i've had this conversation with a lot of members of my family and there's this weird ab reaction to the concept of safe spaces for some reason mm-hmm. and i finally had this talk with my dad where I was like, you know how you have like a workshop in the basement, Dad? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and that's where you go because you don't want mom to bother you about something that's going on in the house. He was like, yeah. And I'm like, that's just what most people are asking for, I think, to this chill the fuck out, right? Dude, that's a great And analogy. there was something that he just was like, oh, like, I was like, yeah, that's what I think other people are asking for. And it's like totally, I don't think it's a, I think, I think what's important is, conf- is, making sure that we have a common space mm-hmm. wherein you you might have to do you you might have to do i'm I, to yeah. do the work to try to help educate somebody else or hold space for them but like that shouldn't be what everything is and i can completely recognize that it's like everybody needs their own space to go to just to to feel okay and to recuperate or to you know to to be themselves and not have to worry about the judgments of others i mean right. like that totally makes sense to me yeah, yeah, that's a great analogy. Like, um, you should you should make that into a joke if you haven't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I should do. Actually, I'll take your advice on that and do that. I think I should probably write more jokes in line with that kind of thing because I feel like I feel like I increasingly on stage just feel like I'm the voice of the patriarchy, just TVP, like <laughs> TM. Like I'm the, the I, I just feel like, I think it's, I think it's cause I'm now, a, I'm just, a, like I said earlier, I'm a straight cis white dude in his thirties. And I just, whenever I talk, there's something about me specifically, I think that sounds like I'm coming off as like serious when I mean to be coming off as ironic. Yeah. And I definitely think that probably part of that is like, is the fact that I'm not, I hate to say this, but I'm not like kind of virtue signaling by talking about progressive shit I actually care about. Right. Well, I think it's like there's like a difference, right? Where it's like um you can talk about stuff that like it's cuz it is everything's changing for you too. So you can talk about how it's affecting you changing versus like so like that workshop thing is awesome because you're like it's a generational thing where you're like dad like I've had to learn this shit. <laughs> Let me explain it to you in a way that you a can baby understand. Will understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, which is funny because that's just like a, that's like every generation has that, right? Figuring out how to explain stuff. Yeah. And I think it's different from like, there is like, man, I hate that the alt right came up with virtue signaling because I do think it's a legit, like, good term, you yeah. know? Yeah. Because it is like, uh, uh, I've also at the same time seen uh, cis white women break into tears when they see something that they assume is transphobic and I'm la- I'm laughing at it. Yeah. And they assume it's transphobic. Well, so yeah, they're like that's crying. what's so like the the I, I, I was talking with um I was talking with uh, some friends of mine about this recently in New York where like I did stand up in Boulder, Colorado for a couple of years. Boulder, Colorado is like a seriously liberal, super progressive like town. Right. But their assholes clench up so tight when you just approach any type of like it. I mean, it like having 
any type of subject matter that's the least bit strays toward questions of race or gender or sexual orientation or any of that stuff, they, they immediately freak out and, and refuse to laugh. Mm-hmm. And it's very weird to me because I'm like, I mean, one thing is like, look, if a joke's not funny, it's not funny. Nobody should feel obligated to laugh. But there's a f- strange kind of feeling of like, you're not even giving this a chance. Like this is dead on arrival because you feel like any reaction you have to this, you're afraid is going to be wrong. Right. And and there's also a part of it's like, you're not helping. It's kind of this world of like bullshit, you know, social media activism where it feels like you're the opinions that you have on this aren't actually helping anybody who maybe needs help in this situation or or needs you know what i mean like your your tacit support of this isn't deliver isn't making any meaningful difference in the world is kind of what i mean does that make sense it does yeah and i i mean it's like it's so right we're like all figuring it out right now it's kind of cool we're in this weird like liminal stage of like figuring stuff out because i do think that it's like kind of it's like yeah maybe we should overcorrect for a minute and like people who aren't part of groups should be like a little bit on edge and be like Ooh, should i you know yeah i think that maybe that's yeah i don't think there's any problem with that necessarily either but at I the guess same that's time it kind of does suck as a comic because it's hard to be like <laughs> all right like well what i yeah i have to readjust to like i mean when i started doing improv 12 years ago it was still a huge joke to like play gay on stage yeah like you get an immediate laugh just by a dude being like wow yeah you know? to- yeah like I, I mean, I've done improv long enough. I used to do that shit on stage, and yeah. people would think it was really funny. When did you start improv? Uh, two thousand and two. Oh fuck! All right, yeah. cool. Where did you start at? <laughs> in high school. High at, school. Yeah, in uh, Metro Detroit. I was in an improv group that was taught by an art teacher, and I used to do, and I did improv from two thousand pretty regularly from two thousand and two into like twenty, uh, 2015 20 almost okay were you uh in detroit doing it uh i was in detroit and i was in colorado oh did you do bovine or i did bovine yeah okay cool that's what eric i don't know if i well i'll say his name it's fine my ex-boyfriend who uh he he did bovine metropolis what's his name eric ironman ironman maybe i shouldn't say that yeah uh yeah yeah, i did bovine in uh, the bovine metropolis theater yeah yeah i did bovine and i did voodoo comedy playhouse in denver um, and then I did this uh, theater called Shine in Boulder yeah. in the Boulder Improv Collaborative. So I did like a whole bunch of, I opened up you for, probably, go ahead. I was going to say, you might have overlapped with him because he was out there in 2006, 2005, 2006. Nah, that was just before. I moved there in 2011. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So just kind of missed the, missed the time. But yeah, I, I, um, anyway, that it's just funny how those things change. And yeah. like, and I guess I noticed that stuff now, like, it's funny because my one of my uncles is a stand-up comic, and he sent me his um his old uh, promo reel that he like put together from like oh, years yes. ago, and it was like from the '90s. You know what I mean? It's from like the mid '90s, mm-hmm. and he has a and he basically has this entire part of his set where he talks about that he's like, you know, I'm fine with gay people, blah 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 blah, and I'm like, you can't even. I'm like, dude, you can't even. I can't even imagine starting a joke with that line. I'm fine with gay people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna start a line like that. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh my god!" And he's like, "Yeah, I don't obviously use this anymore." I'm like, "Yeah, good." <laughs> like, it is. I mean, it is like right. Like things are changing so fast too, because that was like would have been fine in 2006, even. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That kind of stuff would have been fine. 
and like it probably would have been yeah and then like yeah it that's it's fascinating that i guess that that is there's a lot of cultural development going on in this space it's funny because i think that it's it's okay to like over uh, you know overcorrect a little bit or like make you know the fact that let me put it this way the fact that a whole bunch of like otherwise you know totally like i was saying like straight cis priv- rather privileged people you you would you might say are a little bit nervous about watching their words and how they you know deal with concepts socially i'm not losing any sleep over that concept at all like yeah. i think that it's totally fine to do that i guess i only feel like i don't you know my fear about this politically and socially is that it's like i think my so my dad voted for trump and he mm-hmm. super re- regrets it um <laughs> yeah i know i thank god right yeah <laughs> like, i feel the, like anybody who's not a billionaire i mean everybody the, should regret it but I know, if you're not right? a billionaire you're an idiot yeah like I th- he but I think part of the reason that he did at least that went into it is I think he for the first time in probably his whole life he like and the safe space analogy I think is maybe a good one to bring in here because it's like I think that for the first time in his life he felt silently judged and wrong for things that he didn't understand or could couldn't control. Yeah. And I think that that's very frightening for like people who have lived their whole lives that way and I think that they saw at least Trump potentially and I'm not saying my dad did specifically but I think by proxy a lot of those people voted for him thinking that that was a return to normal what they saw as normality versus mm-hmm. uh re- versus a, a move toward uh you know selling your soul to the devil or something <laughs> so I I, I don't know I guess I only worry that it's like I hope that that we can reach a point of equilibrium and everybody can kind of get along so that nobody feels like they're having to watch this feel silently judged. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That's fascinating to me too, to think about it like that. Cause it's like, um, it is right. Like if you haven't ever had to question yourself, it's going to feel like, um, you're being wronged if you do get questioned. That's uh, I think you just hit the, that's exactly what it is. I think that you hit it, the nail on the head. That there was an interview with um Amy Poehler some time ago where this journalist, this uh this uh very very like hipstery looking dude journalist was I think he even had a beanie on in the interview. Oh, no. Yeah, it was like, you know, Amy, this is so weird. It's like we live in this world today where like even you know it's hard to be like a guy because it's like suddenly you feel judged for like you have to be good looking, but you have to be sensitive. And you oh, have no. to be like blah blah blah. <laughs> and Amy's like looking at him and her face is like like <laughs> just screwing up in all these different ways and she's like women feel like that all the time, so I'm glad that men are feeling that way. And in my head I I thought to myself, I feel bad if anybody feels that. I don't I think it's kind of shitty that anybody's walking around feeling that way. It's terrible that women have had to deal with that silently by themselves. Yeah. And if men are now sharing in that experience, it's good because we can all understand how crappy it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's a positive thing that comes out of it. I guess it like, it does suck that like, um, I think that humans, again, we're like animals. We're very flawed. And so like, it would be great if we could just make the change by being like, Oh, I have enough empathy that if you're feeling that way, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to change it. But yeah. no, it's like, no, that's everybody it. has Can't to feel like yeah, shit we all and have we to, can change. That's so funny. <laughs> we have, that's what a sad, ugh, yeah. people, man. Fucking uh, people. <laughs> well, hopefully those people will watch your show. I hope uh, so too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like it, I, I, I really loved it uh, and it was very good. And uh, I I thought everybody did a great job in it. And I mean, obviously you did. I feel like um, what's the woman from the beginning of episode 
so funny oh my god okay yeah and also good news abby is uh, i believe it'll i think it's like coming out coming out but she has a show that got picked up by showtime what yeah and it's being produced by one of the Wachowski sisters. That's amazing. Yeah. So watch she out was for that. so unbelievably funny. Abby I watched that scene like three times. I thought that was so funny. She's so funny. She's amazing. She's okay. So she's somebody who, when I started here, was um, you know, she's like a great improviser. So she was on like the teams that I watched, and like I was always a little bit like confused because I was like, why do I feel like I relate to her? Eh, don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah. but like um, she was not. I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like she would be upset if I said that, but she just didn't get cast and stuff ever. Mm. She's never getting cast. And even now, like she's like um, in her forties and doesn't, you know, now, now she's getting her success, which is so great to see. Yeah. Um, but it is like how, how things are changing. She's yeah. amazingly talented. Well, it's funny because this relates only slightly earlier to, to the point where you're like, maybe we overcorrect. I remember like when the NBC, um, a trials thing came out a while ago. It was funny because there was this huge hoopla about the fact that they're like, yeah, they're not taking any like white dudes. And uh, they're like, this is harder than ever to be a white dude in comedy. Um, yeah. And uh, I kind of feel like, you know, I am okay with the fact that people who have, should have been getting attention for a long time are getting it now. And if that requires, white dudes to have a slightly harder time i think i'm i'm i think i'm okay with that it's a seems like a fair exchange to get really good talent into the marketplace yeah it's also like uh i feel like coming up i was just always told um well if you don't like it go make your own thing and then you go make your own thing and everybody's like oh wait a second why am i not in it <laughs> and it's like <laughs> fuck you <laughs> that's really funny actually <laughs> yeah go make your own thing well you didn't you didn't put us in it it's like yeah, what <laughs> Uh, the other person I have to shout out on that show is Matt Brown, who is so fun to watch in anything. Yeah, right? He's like, uh, he was made for that character. I wrote that character, not specifically for him, the character Beetle. And then he auditioned and I was like, oh, shit, this just is Matt Brown. I just love Matt so much. I just, I just, I enjoy Matt so much. Just anything he does is just like, I would watch him. I would watch him. I would watch him for an hour. Just get up and talk about whatever he wanted to talk about. So funny. Which is shitty because I don't even know if I'd pay for a ticket to watch me do that like, <laughs> like i'd want to be before i went in to see my own show i'd be like what's it about like, <laughs> let me know yeah i mean yeah <laughs> but matt i'd be like oh matt brown's gonna talk for an hour deal he can also sing he's multi-talented yeah what the fuck right yeah get out of here <laughs> and he's like 20 i know like, right good god amazing Anyway, um, well, cool. Where can everybody? We've been. How long have we been at this we've now? We've probably been at it a while. Oh, we're at where? Just over the one hour mark. Um, well, where can everybody? You have a whole bunch of these to do. You're like doing a press junket today, basically. Working on it. Yeah, trying to get out there, do all the podcasts. <laughs> That's I. It's great. You know what I mean. I think the people should know about. it. I'm excited to post this one. Uh, it'll probably be next week, actually. Unfortunately, Dope. because uh, this was. Uh, so if you guys are getting this, the third week of June, fourth week of June, whatever. Uh. That's because I have another friend who's uh, her, her. She had an art gallery opening, and that art gallery is only open temporarily. So, like, I have to throw her stuff out this week. But um, for sure, where'd you say your listeners are? Jamaica, and, uh, <laughs> Kingston, Jamaica. I have a, it, actually. I have I have a lot, obviously, in Chicago, but I have some in the UK. Um, shout out to the UK. <laughs> yeah, uh, Denmark, uh, Kingston, Jamaica, the Russian Federation, and then India. Uh oh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's, that's awesome. We'll shout out of, everybody. Yeah, there's a bunch of listeners in Jakarta in India for some reason. And then What's up? 
and then um yeah the russian federation we keep getting one listener from the russian federation it's like every episode there's like one listener from the russian federation got one fan there i know vladimir putin i know and hey vlad what's up <laughs> what's up mr putin what's up mr putin <laughs> uh so where can everybody check it out where can they where, where can they go uh to, to to find it yeah it's uh all the episodes are free it's on a website called otv open television um and that's a great site to watch their other stuff they got some really great series on there it's a cool the whole idea for the the network basically is, is lgbtq yeah it's, well, it's, it's uh intersectional. there's two q's Right. Yeah, there's two Q's. Yeah, you got it. You got it. There's a million letters. It's LGBTQIA plus because they gave up on adding more letters. Yeah, they just finally they were like, let's just throw the just throw a plus in there. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Uh, this is call call me Ripley. Just call me Ripley dot com, right? Just call me Ripley dot com is the website. You can find everything there. Cool. And where can anybody follow you, Shannon? You can follow me on Instagram at Shannon L Noel. That's N O L L, and at Shannon L Noel on Twitter. And um, yeah, I got a website that I got to update, so <laughs> <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. Thank you for dropping by and talking through all this stuff with me. This is really cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>